0: But Welcome back. If you've been traveling, if you've been spending some quality time with your family, we encourage that here at Clayton Community Church, especially during the summer. And for the longest time as a pastor, I tried to fight it. I tried to encourage people to stick around, but it's a battle I cannot win. So therefore, if you can't beat them, join them. So me and my wife will be traveling coming up in August. And uh, uh, we just really encourage that. We think it's a good thing that you and your kids, you take some time together you spend some quality time because as many of you know, especially some of you who are older, who are grandparents now, you understand that they do indeed grow up too fast. And and before you know it, they're gone and they're doing adult things. And so uh, we do want to take time. We think it's so important to spend time with family. And we're glad that you're here today. We consider you to be family. And if you notice, we have all these awesome decorations. We are ready for VBS. VBS starts tomorrow. And you better be getting hyped up for it, man, because those kids are coming. They are coming. And they're going to come in those doors. They're going to be hyped up. They're going to have all sorts of energy. Man, if you, and if you're not ready to go, if you're not getting hyped up yourself, they're going to run you over like a train. And you're going to be feeling it the next morning. So we got to get ourselves ready. Uh, it's exhausting work. It's tiring. It takes months and months of preparation. Uh, this year, our, our director is Jessica Colvin, and she's done a wonderful job getting everything prepared and organized and ready. Uh, I, I did VBS director for one year. There was one year nobody would do it, and so I'm like, well, I'll do it. And it's hard work. It's, it's a lot of work. And uh, I'll, I'll, I won't say they I'll never do it again, but if I can help it, I would be happy to have Jessica, who does a wonderful job, do it for us. So please be in prayer for Jessica and all the workers. Um, Many of you have also invested a lot of time into VBS. Uh, Perhaps you've brought some uh, donations to help us out. Maybe you're volunteering to help us throughout the week. Many of you are committed to prayer and helping us and supporting us through prayer and praying for the kids. Uh, We even had... uh, couple of gentlemen, Bob Adams and Jim Hatch, they spent about a week and a half or, or more coming here every morning and leveling that ground out for us and getting that fence put up just before VBS so that we could have an enclosed area for the kids and for the games and things. So thank you guys for doing that. There's even some people who are using vacation time from work to come and work VBS, And there's some people who have done that for a few years now, using their vacation time to come here for the kids. Now, why in the world would we dedicate so much time, money, effort, and energy towards VBS like that? Well, it's because, quite frankly, we believe that children are a blessing from God. That God has blessed mankind with children, and that God has entrusted the church with the great privilege of raising up children in his name and teaching them the gospel, even at a young age. So ahead of VBS, I thought it'd be crucial for us to let's take a look at just all the many ways that children are a blessing to us, and all the ways that God has called us as the church to love them and lead them in the gospel. So I'm excited for this sermon this morning because children are just uh, such an amazing part of our lives. Uh, I love my kids dearly. I love your kids dearly as well. And uh, I hope that we can all have a right attitude towards children and how we as a church are to bring them up. So let's say a word of prayer, and we'll get right to that. Our Father in heaven, King of the universe, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, we thank you, God. We thank you for making us. We thank you for calling us and for saving us, giving us a hope and a joy, a hope of heaven, and a joy in the fact that we have been set free from our sin, that you call us adopted children of your kingdom of heaven. I pray, God, as we study your word and what it has to say about the little ones, about kids— That all of our hearts will open up, all of our minds will open up, and our faith will grow, and we will have childlike faith. And as we see little ones, God, we will see exactly the privilege and opportunity that we have to raise them up and teach them about you. So help us, Lord, help your word to pierce our hearts and change our minds. And God, give us a proper attitude towards children, and give us a way as parents And as those who look after children, uh, give us a proper understanding of how it ought to be done. So we love you. We thank you for this opportunity and chance to be together. We do pray for the kids who are back in children's church, and we pray for the teachers. We ask God that you would give the teachers the words to say, the prayers to pray, and that the children's little hearts would be open to hear your message, and it would never depart from them. Thank you for this church. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start with the fact that all children are a blessing from God. And I mean that when I say all. I absolutely mean that when I say all. Every child born into this world is a blessing from God. Not just the children who are born into a nuclear family. Not just the children who are born without deformity. Not just children who are born into a... A Christian family but every single child that exits the womb and enters this world for however many period of time I would even say every child who is conceived in the womb is a blessing from God the Bible only has good things to say about children throughout and though not all children behave in the same way or are instantly easy to love they are nevertheless very universally counted as a blessing worthy of our love and attention. So let's look at all the ways that the Bible says that children are a blessing to us. First of all, in a general sense, this means generally, by and large, for the most part, uh, God has made us to be, as as mankind, fertile. And fertility, in general, is a blessing from God. Psalm 127, 3-5 says, Behold, children uh, are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is a man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. And if you know the context of Psalm 127, this is a psalm of ascent. uh, A psalm of ascent where the Israelites would be traveling to Solomon's temple, which is why Psalm 127 begins with discussing Solomon's temple. And then immediately it shifts to this uh, encouragement, saying, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. See, children are God's providential blessing to a nation and to a people of his blessing in, in their fertility of their womb. Children of a nation or a household can help uh, a people to prosper and to continue. And so just in general, even the non-believer can look and see that children who are born in fertility of the womb are a blessing to a family and to a nation because without them, the human race would cease to exist. So the fact that people are able to have children at all is a demonstration of God's love and his promise of fertility and to continue the human race. And so, when we look at nations, for example, like China, uh, China, for four decades, had this one-child policy. And the one-child policy was based off of the fact that they were becoming, they said, overpopulated and that their resources could not fit all the number of people that were being born. And so the state enacted a one-child policy for a household. And they would make some exceptions, but for the most part, one child only. So that if you did become pregnant with a second child, they forced you to have an abortion or they forced the mothers to be sterilized. And so for four decades, that went on until very recently when they lifted that. And now there's a a two-child per household, but this has actually backfired on China in a big way. Um, they are now the fastest aging country in the world. Men outnumber women by a large number because if given the choice, the Chinese people, the parents, they chose to have most of the time and not daughters to carry on the, the family name and the family heritage And so most of the parents were choosing sons. And if they found out they were having a daughter, they would abort the daughter. Also, with a a growing number of um, women were starting to choose careers over being mothers. They didn't want to enter into the family realm. And so the combination of all these different factors in China uh, has started trends that make experts believe that by 2025, their population will be in a, in a serious decline. And this is not something you hear about very often. In fact, some of you might have thought they still have the one-child policy enacted. It's not, but they're in serious trouble. And so their infertility and also the lack of children in China is, is a demonstration of how when we take away God's blessing of fertility, that it's a curse upon a nation. And it will be a curse upon China. And it is. But when a, when a country, when a people, when a family, when we, when we see this, in general, it's a sign of God's blessing. But also, I, I need to note this as well, that infertility is not always a sign of being cursed. Um, an infertile nation is a sign of a cursed nation, but that doesn't always apply to individuals or to couples. Just ask Abraham and Sarah. Their infertility was not a curse. But in the same way that Christ came along, the blind man and the disciples said, is it because of their fathers or, or their mothers, their sins, that, that, that he is blind? And Jesus said, no, it's, it's none of that. It's so that God's work can be shown through him. So Abraham and Sarah are the perfect example of this. A couple who was wrestling with God and and being faithful and demonstrating their, their faithfulness to God and doing what he said, trusting him, sometimes laughing at his proposals, but ultimately trusting him. And in their late age, God caused Sarah to give birth to a child. And so not every case of infertility is uh, a sign of being cursed. And so if you love the Lord, and you're a faithful servant of God, and for whatever reason, you and your spouse are infertile, infertile and you can't have a child, I want to encourage you with this. You are not cursed. It might feel like it, but you're not cursed. And I would also encourage you to not give up hope. Not give up hope. Consider Abraham and Sarah in your hope. If you desire a child, don't give up hope. But also be willing to accept the fact that maybe God has something very specific and special planned for you and your household. Maybe he has a unique plan for you that does not involve having children of your own. In fact, as we know that there are many orphans in this world children who are abandoned by their parents, children who are taken away from horrible parents and who ultimately have no guardians and are longing for someone or a household to love them and to care for them. And there is a great need in this world for that. And so maybe God is calling you to adopt one of these orphans or uh, unloved ones in this world. So that's important to note that infertility is not always a sign of being cursed when it comes to an individual. But it is in general blessing that we are able to have children as a people. Also, there's a double blessing found in being a grandparent. Proverbs 17.6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their father's. So there's a double blessing if you can live to the point where you can hold the children of your children. And I have never experienced this yet. I can only imagine based off of what I've heard some of you who are grandparents tell me what it's like. The fact that you are, that you are holding the child of your child. And the thought that my legacy, my lineage, my DNA will carry on through this child, through the next generation through multiple generations, you get to see that. And if you happen to actually see a great-grandchild and hold a great-grandchild, that's a triple blessing because you're seeing your generation from three, three generations. And so clearly we see, even just from the general sense, even from a secular sense, we can see that children are indeed a blessing in this world. But much deeper than that, much more important than that, we see that the Bible teaches us that children are a blessing because they are the hope and joy of Jesus Christ himself in childbirth. And this is the special revelation of God that he gives to us. Consider immediately after the fall, when Adam and Eve, they sinned and they fell out of paradise into a fallen world and death entered in. God made a covenant from that moment with Adam and Eve, with all of mankind, that their offspring, from their offspring, would come a Savior of the world. And how would that Savior come? Would he just fall from heaven? No, but he would come from the seed of the woman. He would be born into this world as we are born into this world. Genesis 3.15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Isaiah 11.6 likewise prophesies that a child will lead them. Speaking of the Messiah, Matthew 1.23 prophesies, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So the hope of the nation. The hope of your soul and our salvation would come through a child who is born of a woman. The greatest blessing of all, of all mankind would come through a child, one who would grow and they would call Emmanuel. But also I, I find it awesome that Jesus also uses the analogy of childbirth to um, speak of his second coming when he would come again. So there's joy in his first coming, in his birth, and there's also joy in a second coming. Consider John 16.21, which says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. And having been one who's been privileged to be in the delivery room with my wife, um, and with others, sitting in the corner with the camera at one point or another. Um, but especially with my wife giving birth to our two daughters. Just being there with her as she's crushing my hand. And as you can tell, she's in great pain and anguish and turning to me and saying, You did this to me! Being uh, witnessing that, her in the greatest pain of her life, but then suddenly as the child comes and the child is placed upon her chest and just seeing her face filled with joy and tears of joy streaming down her face. And I love the fact that we have that on video because I love going back and watching and seeing my wife's face, especially with our first, with Sophia. When, when you came out, Sophia, your mom, I've never seen her face look so joyful and happy when you entered this world. And it was just such a beautiful, joyful moment. And so Jesus compares this to our lives right now. Some of you feel like you are in labor in your life, that it's really hard and you want somebody's hand to squeeze or people to blame for all the issues that are going on. You're in pain. So Jesus relates childbirth to the second coming. When he comes, it'll be like that moment. It's painful for now, when he comes, that joy will be wonderful. And women, you have an amazing privilege and a front row seat to that kind of joy. I got to sit and witness it in my wife's face, but women, you get to Feel that in your soul and in your body. And so, childbirth is related to the joy that comes with Jesus Christ. Also, Jesus in his ministry, he showed, as uh, Jim pointed out earlier, that children are a model of what pure faith looks like. Mark ten thirteen through 16 says, And they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might... Touch them, and the disciples rebuke them. So, the situation is Christ is in his healing ministry, and he has people coming from all over who are wanting to be healed, who want to hear the teacher. And so, the disciples are working around Jesus and trying to trying to uh, organize the situation for him. Much like when we do any kind of ministry here, we have something that we're working on and we're working towards. It's like VBS; we're we're trying to get set up for VBS. And then in the midst of this, uh, there are children who parents are, are wanting to come to Jesus or children themselves are wanting to come and see Jesus. And so in the midst of all their work, the disciples were like, oh, those kids are being a nuisance. We, we got work to do. We're doing serious kingdom work. And so they're like, keep kids out of it. They're just going to cause distractions. They're going to break stuff. Just, they're they're going to spill on the carpet. Just keep them out of here. Jesus immediately... It says when he saw it, he was indignant, he was offended that they would shoo away the children. And he says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arm and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So Jesus has a very high view of children. And he welcomes children even in the midst of his work and his ministry. He understood better than any man just how much of a blessing that children are and how close they are to him and how their faith is a model of what every Christian's faith should look like. pure Innocent, trusting, void of of politics, and simply seeing things for the way they really are, looking at the truth and the purity of the situation, not dragged down by all sorts of anxiety, by all sorts of cares and worries, but truly free to love and follow Christ, And so here, children are a blessing because they give us a model in their innocence, in their purity, of what our faith should be like. That sometimes, men and women of God, we need to let go of those anxieties that are holding us down, of the politics that inform our decisions, that sometimes we just need to walk by faith. That when God says, you can trust me, when Christ says to go, that like a child, we can go. And we can be free of the cares and the worries, knowing that we are following the one we can trust and the one we love. So then, therefore, children are clearly a blessing. In a general sense, according to special revelation, they are a blessing. And So therefore, conversely, to despise children is a sin. Very clearly it says in Matthew 18.10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. I mean, is that clear to you? What Jesus is saying here? See to it that you do not despise these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. The reason for this is because children are a blessing. God has given us children as a blessing and as a gift. And for us to despise that blessing and that gift is a dishonor to God, and it is a sin to God. And furthermore, Jesus points out the fact that God has given each child an angelic representation in heaven to protect their well-being. We don't know exactly what this means or what this looks like, but this is what the Scripture says that they have a representative, a spokesman, someone who is speaking for them on their behalf in heaven. And so therefore, those who abuse or mistreat children will not get away with it and will not go unpunished. And that leads to this last point that child abusers and false teachers beware. If you have it in your heart to take advantage of a young, innocent child in any kind of way, in any kind of way, and I'm not just talking the obvious ways, but to take their innocence and to spoil their innocence for your own personal gain, then beware. I'll share again what, what Jim quoted this morning, Matthew 185 5-6. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. God's righteous anger burns violently, violently, against those who abuse or falsely teach children. Children are a blessing in multiple ways. They are a miracle. They are a joy. They bring in childbirth. Uh, They bring us closer to Christ in knowing the joy that they bring and the joy that Christ will bring. They're an example to us all when it comes to faith. We have much to learn from children. If you don't think children can teach you anything, you are dead wrong. Children sometimes are better teachers than other adults. I know I've learned so much from my daughter, Sophia. I've learned so much from Sienna. And so we ought to be willing to learn. Not that we let them lord over us, but that we're willing to learn. God is speaking to us through our children, and we do well to listen. So therefore, the next point, Because children are a blessing, we are called to love them well. And it not only matters what we do for our children, but it also matters what our attitude is towards our children. The Bible gives us as adults and as parents and uh, as anybody who is in charge of children, general instructions on how we should think and act towards children. And so here are some of those ways. First of all, and this is another general thing, this is for everybody. It's for believers, non-believers, everybody. Our responsibility and how we love them is we provide for their basic needs. So it is the duty of every caretaker to provide for children their basic needs of food, shelter, clothing. Those are things that you are tasked to do. And it doesn't matter if you have to work a job that you hate, if you have to work two jobs that you hate, um, you are called, especially as, as fathers, I would say, especially as fathers, but also as mothers, to provide for your children, no matter what it takes. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and this goes beyond children too, just your family in general, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse. So, this is kind of the same um, scenario as tie a millstone around your neck and throw it into the ocean. You'd be better off if you're not going to take care of your family. And this, of course, is referring to the basic needs meeting the basic needs of your family and of your kids. Are they fed? Do they have clothes to wear? If they're attending school and they're involved in, in sports or band or anything like that, can you not afford to buy them the cleats they need or the instruments they need because that money is going towards booze or, or drugs? You can't afford, I can't afford it. Yeah, well, stop buying alcohol, and you could afford it. Stop buying the cigarettes, and you could afford it. Put kids as a high priority over your own pleasures. Take care of your kids' needs. Don't let them go off to school embarrassed. You know, um my parents loved me very much and they took care of our needs very well. But even I, I remember back in uh back in high or high school, yeah. High school, I didn't have the greatest basketball tennis shoes. And I don't fault my parents for that. It, they bought me shoes, but um they got worn out underneath. And I remember when we were running lines, I, I would I would have to like plan about five feet ahead of the line to put on the brakes so that I'd skid into the line. And then when I'd like turn around to run to the next line, it'd be like in cartoons where their feet are just running in place and then all of a sudden they take off. It was, a, it was a slow start. But it was not only embarrassing, but it was, it was, hard, to, it was hard to compete <laughs> that way. And again, I tell the story. My parents were totally loving. I think they were just unaware that this was happening. But for a kid, that can be a very embarrassing thing. And it can put them behind the eight ball when they're trying to become a part of the world They're trying to enter into society and make friends. Provide for your kids. Give them the things they need. Um, Part of this also is the instruction to care for orphans. In every culture, there are parentless kids who are in need of a parental figure. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. James, likewise, in the New Testament tells us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We as a church ought to have a huge heart for the fatherless. And they don't even have to be in the, any kind of official orphan system. Living here in Clayton Community Church and ministering here for years, I've seen my share of kids walking up and down the street who might as well just be orphans. They have parents who don't really care about them, uh, who are too busy in their trailer doing drugs, kicking their kids out so they can do their drugs, and the kids walking up and down the street barefoot, without a thing to do, barely a shirt on their back, without a thing to do. And there's thousands and thousands of kids like that across the country who aren't even uh, officially labeled as orphans, but who are living as orphans. And so as a church, we have a responsibility to care for the orphans as they are in need, even if they aren't labeled as an orphan. But also we are called as a church, and more importantly, we're called as a church to meet the deeper needs of children. And that is, just like the rest of us, children need the gospel. They need to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them, who will never leave them, nor forsaken them, or abandon them. They need to know that there is an eternal Father who cares for them. Mark 10:13 through 16 again, uh, talks about how they brought the children to Christ. And one really quick way to offend Jesus Christ, or to make him indignant, is to try to hinder or exclude kids from the gospel, which is their deepest need, even more than food, even more than shelter or clothing. So we are not to see children as a nuisance or an inconvenience, but we are to make them a, a priority in our ministry. They should always be made to feel welcome and to love. We should show them God's love as they enter the door or as they're walking on the street. They should know that whenever they come anywhere near proximity to us, either individually or as a church, that they are loved and they are welcomed and that God loves them and welcomes them. Another way that we're to love kids is that we are to take the position of being their life coach. And as a parent, obviously, this is should be automatic in your life, that you are their life coach. You're not their friend. You're not someone they, uh, they're raising up to be your slave in your house. Hey, uh, son, you want to get me that uh, remote control over there? You know, it's not to make them into your personal slaves, doing all your chores, making your life easier, though I do see great value in... Uh, and having your children do work around the house and teach them how to work. But that's just the point, is that you are meant to be their teacher. You are meant to be their guide, their life coach, their influencer, if you will. So that when they leave the house, you have given them all that you got. And you have prepared them for this world the way it is. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So training up a child in how to live a good and a productive life is our calling as Christians. And children, a lot of people think when we have to train them up, we have to come up with, with lessons, uh, with with Bible lessons that we teach them. And that's important, we should do that. But the biggest lesson that you can teach your kid comes through the way that you live. The way that you live your life day to day, and the way that they observe you live your life day to day. Because kids are smarter than we think. Kids retain a lot more than we think. Like they say, kids are like sponges. And when they see you in the company of other people acting a certain way, and then you go home and you act a different way, kids notice that. And they, it sticks with them, and they see that. Or when you see them, or when they see you teaching them the gospel and teaching them principles of scripture, but then you're off living and doing something completely different, living in disobedience. You say, do as I say, not as I do. That sticks with kids. That sticks with them. And so the best way that you can be your, your child's life coach is to live out your faith yourself. Live out your faith yourself. Another way you can do that is put down your stupid phone. When you're with your family, you're sitting around the dinner table, put your stupid phone away. Your kid wants to tell you about their day. They want to tell you, and and it might be just this long rant about this video game they like or... You know, things that just are really hard for you to listen to for a long period of time. Maybe they want to talk about nothing at all. Maybe their favorite movie, their favorite actor, things, conversations you might not be interested in. But guess what? In about 15 or 20 years, when they don't want to talk to you, when they're not calling you on the phone, gosh, you're going to be sorry that you didn't put your stupid phone away and listen to their story. Kids, we deserve to give them our attention. That's important. That's important. So be their life coach. Live it out in your life. But also it's important to teach kids obedience. This is throughout the scripture. It tells us to train our kids up and, and teach them to respect authority. Exodus 20.12 uh, and also Ephesians 6.4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, but this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live uh, long in the land. So if you care about your children's well-being and you care about uh, them growing up to be good and responsible adults, teach them to respect authority. And it begins in the household. And it doesn't mean you rule with an iron fist. Give them something worthy of respect. But also you teach them, if they disrespect you, then you teach them in that moment how, how wrong that is and how they need to respect you. Because if they don't respect you, they're going to go out into the world. They're not going to respect uh, governing authorities, as Romans 13 tells us to. They're not going to respect police officers. They're not going to respect their teachers, principals, any kind of authority figure. If you're not teaching them that in the home, then it will not go well with them in this world. And so if you love your children, teach them to respect authority and your authority. That's why Colossians 3.10 instructs children specifically, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, and it's also good for you. And this can come in a couple different ways. Uh, It can come with a gentle approach. The Bible tells us to be gentle with our kids. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, I struggle with this sometimes. I, sometimes I, I think I kind of poke at or, or pick at my kids a little too much. Perfect example: We were at Silverwood this last Thursday. My daughter, my youngest daughter, and her, her and I were going on the log ride together, just her and me. Sophia and Amy were in the other one. And for some reason, even though we've been on it a bunch of times, Sienna was nervous about it. She was scared about it, and she was sitting. She was sitting in the front of the log and I was sitting in the back and I could see Sienna's hands just like gripping the log really tight. And so I was like trying to just talk to her from the back and just kind of joke with her and playfully talk with her. And she was very serious. She's like, Dad, don't talk to me. Stop it. And she was really mad. So as a dad, I kind of just kept poking the bear. (sighs) And she... (laughs) She started getting really, really mad. And then all of a sudden, the Lord convicted me with this scripture. Because that's what I was provoking my child to anger in that moment. Where, you know, and my heart was in the right place. I'm, I'm wanting her to give, get over her fears and face her fears and all that kind of stuff. And th- there's certainly a, a place to do that. But I didn't know when to stop. And I just kept poking her. Mainly for my own pleasure. And that's wrong. It's wrong. So, even though, especially as dads, we might feel like it's our job to push our kids, uh, to make them feel uncomfortable, you know, to get them used to that in life, we do need to know the limit. We do need to be tender and gentle when it's appropriate. Um, We can certainly cross the line, we can provoke their anger to where it becomes a sin, and where we're sinning against them and it's actually doing more harm than good. And so I think sometimes, especially men, I think we can forget what it was like to be a kid, to be scared, and to wish that somebody would, would just hold our hand through the scary situations and not, like, throw us neck deep in a scary situation. So just remember what it was like as a kid. But this brings us to the other approach, and there needs to be balance. The Bible also calls for a heavy-handed approach. There is a situation where you do need to be an authority figure with a heavy hand. Proverbs 29:15 says, "The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother." Uh, There is a time with your child when they severely cross that line, when a spanking might be in order, or some harsh words or a very uh, severe correction or rebuke. It can't always be gentle. I know. I think that's a big problem with a lot of parents today, is that they're so scared to spank or to correct in a firm manner um, that they basically just do what we like to call free-range parenting. <laughs> You've heard of free-range um, grazing, where basically you just take take your uh, cows out into the field and just kind of let them graze, and then you. Parents are not called to be free graze farmers. We're, we're called to be parents who are active in creating those clear boundaries for our kids and enforcing those boundaries with our kids. And so the Bible calls us parents to be authority figures to our children, to set rules, to follow through with disciplinary measures. But it's also calling for us to do this gently as well. And this takes the wisdom of God to know when is the right time for the heavy hand? When is the right time for gentle? Where's the line as far as agitating your kids for your own pleasure? So uh, it is loving to discipline your kids. Next, raise children in a Christian community in a Christian culture. Isaiah 54.13, this was a, a promise to Israel. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And great shall be the peace of your children. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9 says, These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house or when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now Israel had a unique call of God and that they were a theocracy and that their, their nation, um, it was embedded into their nation, the fear of God and the practices of uh, righteousness. And so you could not grow up in Israel without hearing the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, without knowing the significance of the feasts. And so children were raised from an early age, very early on, to understand and know the fear of God. As Gentiles, as Christians, obviously, our living situation is a little bit different. Yes, we were raised in a country that was founded upon Christian principles, but those principles are not as deeply embedded as they once were. Um, secular people are seeing to that, that everything Christ-related, biblical-related, church-related is being removed from official aspects of our country. But this is why God gave us the church, because the church is to be the place and time and the people where the culture of God is lived out and taught. And what are the benefits of raising kids in the church? Well, first of all, they get a gospel-centric teaching and environment. And regardless of all the secular curriculum that's being peddled to our kids today in school or through movies, or any other medium. The church is to be the place where Christ is taught. And this is why we don't like playing these games of, of trying to make it seem like the world, and then we, we drag them in, and then we get to the serious stuff. But no, we are to be the church at all times, representing Christ as his ambassadors to children at all times. We don't play games with the gospel here. But rather, we live it out and we teach it to the best of our ability. And by involving kids in the church, they will be influenced to develop a Christian worldview. Also, the church gives trusted mentorship. Here at Clayton Community Church, we believe in the membership process, which we believe is biblical. And one practical aspect of the, of the membership process is the vetting process, because we want everyone who enters in here to know that if if someone is a member of this church, that means we trust uh, them with your children, or that you can trust your children with them, and that's one of the the markers that I use, especially as a parent with young daughters, is that if you if I if I feel like I can trust giving you my children for the afternoon, then I believe that you are trustworthy to be a member of this church, and so that's a marker. There's trusted mentorship that the elders, the teachers, the leaders of this church, we are looking out for you. We're looking out for the well-being of your kids uh, just as you would. Also, raising your kids in the church removes stigmas and stereotypes because I've ran into people who somehow made it out of their childhood without attending church. And for them, going to church as an adult was a very scary prospect because they didn't know what to expect. There was a stigma there. There was a stereotype that Christians are hypocrites and that they do weird things in church. But if you raise your kids in the church and they can see from a a young age that really good people are there, that uh, you sing songs of of praise, that, that there's nothing weird to worry about, then even if they fall away from the faith as an adult, one day when they come back, they won't be scared to come back. In fact, that might even be what encourages them to come back. Because they remember that there was that nice children's church teacher who really did care for them and really did love them. Or that nice BBS director who put together all, all those games and stuff for them and those lessons for them. And so raising kids in the church is important. It's important that you bring them here. Uh, finally, who then is responsible to raise the children? Well, of course, it's the mother's. So the men can go off to work. And they can come home to a nice meal, sit down in their lazy boy, watch their program with a beer in his hand, and then go to sleep. It's the woman's job to raise the kids. Absolutely wrong. It has never been that way. The Bible has never taught it to be that way. But rather, when we look at Proverbs 1, 8-9, for example, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction." And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Yes, both fathers and mothers are charged with the responsibility to raise up and teach your children in the way of the Lord. So husbands, if you do work a job and you come home and you're all tired and the tank is empty, you got nothing left for your kids, your family, you're failing your kids. You need to save, reserve something in your tank for your kids. If, that's, if that means that you sit down with them next to their bedside and you read them a Bible story and you pray with them before they go to bed, then that's good. If it means more than that, if you take them out on, on a hunting trip and you have conversations with them about the gospel while you're out there doing it, if you take them out on a boating trip instead of going out with your friends, maybe you take out your child instead. Fathers, you are responsible for teaching your children the gospel. It's not all on the wife. And wife, same way. Mothers, it is also your responsibility to train up the children. You are qualified to teach your children the gospel. Husbands, you are qualified to teach your children the gospel. I don't really know. Teach them what you know. And again, if maybe you can't teach with your words, teach with your life. Live out your faith every day. So the last section, I just want to give some practical ways that we can love our kids here at Clayton. Number one, with all that said, be a friendly face to the kids. Don't despise them. Don't be that angry church lady with the bony fingers. Don't you dare touch that piano. Because kids remember that. And it might be comical later in their life. But for some, it might not. That might be the, the only face they remember from church. And when they get older, then they're like, I don't want to go see the, the bony-fingered angry ladies. No. No. Greet them with a friendly face. Say, I'm, I'm happy to see you. I'm glad you're here. Support young parents. I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot of young parents in the church. And if you can remember what it was like and how difficult it was like sometimes, and how sometimes it would have just been nice to have an evening away with just your wife, but childcare was hard to find, or, or maybe you just needed support in one way or another. Find a young family, support them, sponsor them. Uh, serve in a children's church or nursery. We always need helpers in children's church. If you have a heart, if you have a place for kids in your heart, you love kids dearly, You'd like to teach them. Uh, don't shy away from, from joining Children's Church. Talk to Lindsay Lofstrom. Um, she needs help. Pray for youth, Pastor. We've been doing that for uh, months now, for years now. We would love to see um, a real, well, I, I'd prefer a couple uh, a couple coming here that um, can love the kids well, lead them up in the Lord. My kids are entering youth group age. So obviously, uh, I'm taking this personally as well. I'd love for my kids to have somebody other than me telling them about the gospel. Serve at VBS. And there's a lot of different ways you could serve. We mentioned that. But also talk to the neighborhood kids. Uh, When you see them walking around, wave at them. Say hi. Go out of your way to wave at them and say hi. Even if they're like acting all cool, whatever even if you wave and say hi and they act that way, you don't know if that's really doing something to their heart. Or if that's planting the seed that, huh, they're friendly people. If I have a problem, maybe I can go talk to them. So even if they, like, act off-putted by you, or try and act all cool in front of their friends, do it anyway. I mean, that's what we as mature adults do, right? We do the adult thing even if somebody acts in a certain way, right? So be the mature adult, say hi to the kids, If they're out there playing basketball, go over and, hey, can I shoot around with you? Play. So these are just some ways that we can love the kids better. And I just want to encourage you through VBS uh, to keep our focus on what's truly important here. It's not just about putting on a VBS program, checking that box and saying, yep, our church has a VBS program. Oh, and look at all these things that we did. It's about the kids. It's about when we're here. We're taking the most of the opportunity and the time that we have to help and serve the kids and show them the love of Christ and share the gospel with them. And it can be so easy when we're serving at VBS to just kind of go off into our corner as adults and, oh yeah, they're over there, they're playing, that's fine. We all should take personal ownership while we're here and while they're here to take the opportunity to spend time with the kids. There will be time to talk with the other adults afterwards. And to party with the adults afterwards after it's over. Get in a hot tub and relax and, and refresh for the next day. Take the opportunity to spend time with the kids. And so I want to leave you with that. Um, I want to encourage you to come next week. We're, we're going to have another baptism. Uh, Amanda and possibly others. We are going to do another baptism, which is always a great time. So I'd encourage you to come and support her or them in that. So... Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, the joy that we feel in our heart, knowing that you came to die on the cross for us, knowing that you rose again and promised you'd return. God, we look forward to your return as a mother looks forward to holding her child. And so, Father, thank you for the joy and the blessing of children. Help us as a church to build them up and to love them well, to always know that they are a blessing and a gift from you, and to endure even when times are tough with our kids, as they might not be obedient or uh, they might be in trouble. Help us to be long-suffering for our kids and patient and to really just take on that responsibility well. And Father, we just thank you for this church body. I pray for BBS that that little lives are changed, that they take that seed, that gospel back to their households, and their households are changed. God, I have seen you do that over the years, and it's a miracle, and I pray for more of that. I pray that this entire community is changed for the better because of your gospel and because of those kids. So, Father, thank you for entrusting us with it. I thank you for our director, Jessica Colvin. I ask that you be with her, especially and all the workers that, God, you would uh, just encourage them, strengthen them, give them optimism, and, Father, just help us all to work well together for your purposes. We love you so much. Give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for coming.